Okay, what up, like listeners, and welcome to another show, episode 56, I think I've got it right this time, uh, yeah. with myself, Ben, and Josh, uh, where, as ever, we will dig into the news from, to be honest, a relatively quiet week. Um, I know we're recording on a Saturday, which is no, yeah. I'm, I'm not doing anything, so there's no reason for me to rush out, but I'm not sure that we can uh, have the normal length show with the, uh, the quietness uh, of the week. Yeah, it's funny when the biggest stories of uh, the big story of the week is of a um, twenty-one, uh, a not twenty-one, a rapper from the a rapper uh, from the US getting deported, um, deported in hyphenated commas to the UK, and it caused most of the <laughs> caused of the uh, headlines in the week. So, and um, this week's been pretty quiet. Yeah, I mean, we probably should start by um, just touching on obviously, uh, sadly, rapper UK rapper Cadet passed away. Um, yesterday evening on the way to, well, the early hours of this morning, I believe, Saturday morning, yeah. on the way to, to do a show, which is a unfortunate piece of news to to start with. Um, yeah. Obviously, thoughts go out to all his family on their sad loss. Yeah, um, he's 28 years old. He's, he's young. I think he was a cousin of um, Krebs, yeah. the Conan, and... Um, he yeah he lost his life and this morning and early hours or this morning in a taxi and um, yeah got a thought to go out to him and his family in uh, the stigma of sad news uh, the body of um, Salah the footballer was recovered this week also um, they they finally found the body in the wreckage and they identified it as him hopefully this gives his family closure um, that I, I think they desperately needed. Um, my thoughts go out to him and his family. It's a sad way to go. Both, both, both guys died at 28, which is such a such a, such a young age. Yeah, it's ridiculously young. It's such a young age. So, and thoughts go out to both of their families. All right, so moving on. So, moving on to some some lighter news. So, um, US rapper 21 Savage um, he came out came out. I think was it Monday or Sunday Sunday night that um, he'd been arrested by ICE. ICE is the um, America's uh, immigration police, and uh, they arrested him on the on the provider that his his visa run out. And the the, the the strange thing about this story was that it, it came about that it came out that he was a British. He apparently he's a British citizen, um, and he's to be deported to the UK. Now a lot of people were confused by this because of Twenty One Savage is very famous for for being known for coming from um, Atlanta. He's they, when, when normally when he's been um, announced, they always say that Atlanta rapper uh, Twenty One Savage. So it came came as a quite a shock to everyone when it was found out that he was actually born. He's actually from born in the UK. There was there was so much um, furore around it, so people it was confusing. People didn't know if he was born in Dominica. So it was didn't know if he was born in Dominica or born in the UK. And um, yeah, so the news came out later on in the week. His management team released the news that he actually was born in the UK, and he came to um, America at age of seven. Uh, Twelve. Oh uh, no, it's actually <laughs> it's actually seven. Um, the news came originally. It was, originally, it was twelve, uh, but um, it was confirmed later on this week. It was seven. This is a bizarre story, to be honest. I don't really understand it. Like th- nobody seems to have the information, either rejecting or supporting whether he is from the UK. This is very bizarre. Like, yeah. people must know 
if they knew him early, like there, there are obviously people who knew yeah i knew that kid earlier on in life when he lived in the uk or yeah. equally no i know this kid from when he grew up in the u.s it's just i find it to be a very bizarre story um and it seems strange that it's taken them what 12 so well if it was when he came over at seven then that extends his time coming over back to 2000 which means yeah he's so he's, his visa ran out after a year so it's taken them 18 years to discover this. It's a very bizarre story. He said that, um, so Jay-Z's apparently jumped on board and run and... and yeah, he's tried to raise um, awareness yeah. of funds. I don't know yeah, why yeah. I don't know why Jay-Z's trying to raise funds. He can just give it to him. <laughs> but um, Jay-Z's trying to raise funds so he can pay for his defence defense team. But apparently um, 21 Savage has had four pending... Um, He's, he's, so he's, for four years he's had a pending review on his visa because his visa's run out and he's tried to apply for a new one and every time he's tried to apply it's taken a long time so um, I'm surprised it's, it's taken this long for, for them to get him um, yeah it's just this, this, is, this is how bad ICE is in America and how immigration is so bad in America but um, yeah 21 Savage is still it still hasn't been sorted, so it's going to be an ongoing thing. Well, you would assume, to be honest, look, he'll find a way to extend his visa. And I think now it's mm. coming to so much. And you could argue that he's been there for that long. Um, yeah, I would be very surprised if he actually ends up getting deported, regardless of whether the fact he was from the UK or not. Yeah. All right, moving on. Uh, <laughs> so, as it's been a quiet week, Tusk. So, <laughs> Tusk, Tusk has come out and said, Tusk is quite a funny character because he uses Twitter quite a lot, and he's come out on Twitter and he's. And he's he didn't tweeted. say this on Twitter. He actually said this. He 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 put he put it on Twitter afterwards, but he oh, actually okay. said this in a speech. Also, oh, um, so the, the the headline is a place in hell for no planned Brexiteers, which is quite funny. Um, they use the same headline when when Theresa May went over to um to Brussels this week and someone jumped in front of her car. Yeah, but so what he actually said was, I mean, he said in his actual speech, I've been wondering what, what that special place in hell looks like for those who promote Brexit without a sketch of a plan of how to carry it out safely. Now, everybody lost their shit over this, and I don't really understand why. Everybody was like, oh, to use that kind of language that I was, I'm astounded he would use that kind of strong language. I mean, firstly, he got caught afterwards. I think it was uh, Leo Varadkar said to him, um, yeah, they're going to give you hell for that in the British press. And he kind of nodded and laughed. Like, he is just having fun. It's the same as when he took the uh, picture of Theresa May with a cake and said, um, no cherry with that. Um, mm. So he, he does enjoy he, he does enjoy trolling, so to speak. However, I think I, I, people are talking about this as if, as if it's a dig at Theresa May and her party. And I honestly read this as Nigel Farage, Boris Johnson, wherever you are, I hope there's a special place in hell for you. This is, this yeah. is how I feel that he's yeah. put it across because he was very specific in saying he wasn't saying about the people who initiated brexit he was very clear in saying the people who um promoted brexit and didn't have a plan of how to deliver it and it's very clear who he's referring to there the people who left the very day after this was in so i, I felt that this was a big uproar but the people are turning this into something that i don't think was what he intended it to be i don't think it was supposed to be i mean no doubt the EU and the 27 EU states have, have lost patience with the UK because we keep going back and forth and we're just having the same, we're just having internal conversations at the end of the day. We're, we're rarely in a position to go to them and extend any conversation with them. Um, even when Theresa May's gone over this week, nothing's come out of it. Like, th there's no valuable conversations that go on. And now I think it's got to a point, I, I, and to be honest, I, 
I, I mean, maybe I wouldn't say, but well, I don't care. I don't care personally. It doesn't make a difference to me. Um, but I don't think that Nigel Farage. I think Nigel Farage should be banished to to Antarctica for the fact that he caused all of this mess and left the next day. So I, I agree with the sentiment of that, those comments. To be honest, can I, can I ask you a question? So I know you haven't put this in in the stories, but um, what did you think of the whole Liam Neeson thing? Oh well, I was gonna. I knew that was gonna come up anyway because I, I know it wasn't in there. But I mean, I mean, I know it got heavily discussed in some of the groups we're in, and I choose not to. Um, partake in these kind of conversations over WhatsApp personally. Um, I I found it a bizarre admission to make. Um, I think some people have taken the cynical view, well, yeah, he's made this submission when he's on a tour to release his new film. But undoubtedly, this is not anything that will be promotion-worthy for him. So it's not one of those where you say something out there to get attention and that draws people to your film. Um, it wasn't prompted of him it was in reference it is a topic that relates to the underlying theme of his new film but given the blowback you must have known that you were going to get i mean this is the kind of thing where yeah you can consult with with friends and family about it i found it a very bizarre admission to make the first thing um yeah i found the blowback of it to be completely polarized as well yeah. Okay. So I was one of the people having the big debates in group. Um, when I first, when I initially saw the headline, um, the initial the initial headline, I just read the article and I said, "This this black bastard." The initial argument is, uh, Liam Neeson black bar- wants to kill black bastards. And then you read the you read the article and you read it all the way through and you think, "Oh, it's a bit." It's a, well, it's I read bit, the article in the full transcript. I know I didn't comment in the group, but I read the yeah. article in the full transcript anyway. Um... And you, you, you have to take it in the context of what he was trying to say. Now, I'm not saying it's correct, but you also have to take into consideration. So if he had said, would, would there have been the same uproar if he'd said, I just wanted to find an Asian person? I don't think there would. If he said, yeah, I wanted saying. to find a Jewish person or a Greek person, I don't think there would. Um, I understand. And then there was this drive for, well, obviously he's inherently racist if he said that. Um, I don't believe that in and of itself is a signifier of him being inherently racist it's a bizarre thing for him to do i know we used air quotes for it but it's a bizarre thing for him to do to say the words black bastard knowing the connotations that come with that um so i don't know how much there was calculation in the words that he used I, i certainly don't believe that this is a sign that he is inherently a racist and things like his knighthood that have happened many years post this should be taken away um but don't you think it's bizarre that if, if so? Imagine if the woman turned. So the reason why he he was he he walked around for a week for a week with the cost trying trying to find any black person to start a fight with or kill them. If the woman turned around and said, "Oh, imagine um, how how the guy described the guy," and she goes, "He was Armenian," and he said, "I walked around for a whole week trying to find an Armenian person to fight with." People wouldn't say it's it's the idea. Idea is that people don't. It's like so. I watched um, Sam Harris on Joe Rogan this week, and and Sam Harris was talking about this. And it's very much instrumental violence. So in the sense that you, because one person from one another tribe has hurt you, 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 the mindset, I don't understand the mindset because it's never coming through my head, but I'm not even going to 
I won't, I'll talk to you about this uh, offline. I'm it's fine. I listen to yeah, I listen to Joe Rogan and Sam Harris. Anyway, the only but, thing that but, I would say so so I agree. I, I and I agree with what Sam Harris said about this. The only thing, the actual thing that I find to be strange about this is not necessarily if I'm going to go outside of the fact that he made this admission now. If I'm looking at it more from a kind of psychological perspective, yeah. is is the question that he asked her. So, because and I mean, maybe the conversation didn't actually run like this, and maybe he just paraphrased it. But he didn't say what were that, what did they look like. He said, "What color were they?" Um, and so that, from from my perspective, seems a strange question to ask somebody. If you're saying, "Well, what did they look like?" and they can't tell you, then normally you would go for an, another route on the next description. Like, do you know their size? Do you know their build? Mm-hmm. And, and and I could be reading too much into this because he could just be paraphrasing. I yeah. also have to point out here that I find it, I, I find it to be, I don't find it to be frustrating because it doesn't frustrate me, but I, I, I find it interesting when this then comes out and people wants to invo- ignore the fact that there is because when start people start to say this well obviously is inherently racist i think we tend to ignore the fact that everybody within us has a degree of bias towards race and color and demographic and we can't help it it's subconscious mm-hmm. and it might be smaller it might be very minute in some people but it exists there more in a subconscious layer right and in some people it exists more consciously but to take the moral high ground and say well i can't believe any of this anything that he said that insinuates that he has any bias bias towards a different race makes him absolute dirt to me well i'm sorry guys but we all have an inherent bias to different races and you can tell me whatever you want about i look at all races the same you you don't at a subconscious level you just don't because you have ideas that are tied and have connotations to everybody from different races and demographics and that doesn't have to be globally viewed that just seems to be from your experience in life but from your experience in life it is very rare you will have come across anybody from any color, creed or background who all acts exactly the same. And when people act in a certain way in any form of, as we often talk about it from a tribal manner, but from any demographic or any background, you start to subconsciously make associations to people from that background. So I just find a, a bit aggravating when people try to then take this moral high ground and then suggest well i'm never biased to anything i'm like you are even if you care not to do the the research into the fact that pretty much all insights determine that we all have this level of bias in us at some form of level Mm, yeah i agree i agree i just find it i just found like people i found what i found is heartening with people being in being intentionally obtuse or intentionally uh, intentionally misreading nuance in, in in the point just so that they can feel outraged and that's what I, I just didn't like I can understand people being like it triggers you I understand it can trigger you hearing someone saying I oh, went out the whole week looking for it but then if you look at it for the actual context of the conversation and actually understand that what if you look at the actual context of the conversation it's, it's very much it's very much why, in my head, I was thinking, why would you have this conversation out in public? It's one of those things that I haven't, I've had an inherent bias before, or I've had after I've had um, a viewpoints that are I would I would say is retrograde in the past based on past experiences, but I wouldn't discuss it in public. I'll discuss it with in between my friends. I wouldn't talk to friends about it anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, it was, I think Trevor Noah came out this week and said, he, I mean, he said he, he, he didn't, he wasn't chastised before. He said it's a very powerful admission to make. And, and I, mm. I agree with that, that wording of it. Um, again, no, no one but he will know exactly what prompted him to 
make the admission in that manner because he didn't need to because his point was that people can the things that people can do and be driven to um in purpose of revenge and he could have done that without making any reference to the color of the person's skin that he was he was going after so it, yeah it was a, a strange admission um and i also am not tied to this fact that what somebody done earlier on in their life is them forever i'm not saying that there aren't people who were racist in their early life and will forever be racist. I'm not saying they're people who were evil and will forever be evil. Um, but at the same time, you've seen stories of people redeeming themselves. And I think it's not, and, and you get this more in the kind of celebrity environment, but I think to a degree we can be guilty of doing this even on personal levels is that somebody, you, you find out somebody thing about somebody, about what they did in the past, despite the fact, and when we're talking plus, 10 years or so 10 20 years a person can change a lot in that time if you're talking plus six months yeah somebody needs to explain to me exactly why they've changed from their manner right um but when you're talking that kind of distance i do think it is uh, and i don't know if it was on uh, um, joe rogan's podcast or with sam harris or or it was his with somebody else but we do we just want to banish people forever we want to find yeah. a reason and we want to banish them forever and give them no doorway back in and there has to be and it was that because sam harris points this out many times as well there has to be a point of redemption there, there yeah. has to be and if you if you don't show any willingness to change if you don't want to seek redemption then that's fine i think they used the megan kelly one didn't they but if you seek to apologize and state where you were wrong and the fact that you change and even for some of these right people have just made a misstep i'm not saying this was a misstep him doing that when he was younger but in some instances it's just a misstep that people make kevin hart is the same thing there is yeah. this idea that no matter what you say to me I i'm going to go against you and no matter what you say to me, no matter how sincere you think you may be, I don't care. I don't want to listen. I want you banished. I want you removed from social media, the celebrity limelight, the everything. It's just, I, I feel like it's these people who are just bubbling up with this hatred that they just need to unleash on people, irregardless. Like, it's, it's, it's a very just bizarre cultural shift that we've got. Um, there's, an, um, there's an article that's released this week that says that outrage gives people it's like a, gives people a little psycholo psychological um, boost. It makes people feel good about themselves because if, if they when they feel outraged, they feel that they're, they're on the right side of the moral argument. So that it's, it's... I I think it only exists in the world. Joe, Joe, uh, Joe Rogan says this uh, quite a lot, right? But we we are still. I, I think it it is because of the outlet that we have to display our opinion nowadays. Yeah. Um, so I don't think it, I don't think it benefited somebody as much when their uproar from this could be with somebody down the local pub. But yeah, yeah. when you've got access to the whole world, being able to see your views, it, it, it is uh, a different world. And, 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 and I do agree with Joe Rogan when he says it is this, this is a forever changing world of media platforms that we deal with. Right. And I just think in many instances, we don't know how to deal with that. A lot of people are, have relatively low maturity when it comes to emotional intelligence. Right. And when you mix that with a lot of things that they're going to be triggered by, and then a lot of outlets where they can release their opinions, it's very easy to go from four to fingers or four yeah. 
to voice and on a on an Instagram story or something without taking that second to say, well, hold on, let me just let me just step back. Have I overreacted to this? Do I need to just level up? Maybe you still hold the same opinion. I'm I'm, I'm fine with that. I don't have an issue with that. But we we, we have we, we haven't gained the ability to deal with this fact that I've got an outlet to the whole world, and actually I need to build that filter. And we don't we're not that good doing it in person to person. You see when people have arguments and they just get emotional and they lose their point of view, and all of a sudden you you lose the rationality of the conversation. But it's easy to do that when you can say, "Well, I'm angry. I'm triggered. Why?" Voice, um, sorry, face recognition on my iPhone. Boom, Twitter, boom, um, and un- unleash your fury, so to speak. That's why Twitter becomes like a hellhole. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, MP Christopher Chope is back at it again. So he was a, a, a Sir Christopher Chope was a was a guy that infuriated campaigners by objecting by objecting to a ban on upskirting has has been heavily crit- criticised for blocking another private members bill. So, so Christopher Chope again um, when the um, when the bill was brought up to ban FMG, which is child uh, female genital FGM female genital mutilation, um, he shouted object. Um, his colleagues, like Goldsmith and Tom Tom Brake, um, um, Goldsmith said it was appalling. Brake said it reached a new low. Um, but this this guy's not previous, and I think the reason, and I think sometimes um, the reason why he does this is because it it highlights his he he's objecting for, for he's not objecting to the bill. He's objecting the fact that these um, these private member bills are not discussed um, are not discussed. Out, outright, and he and he, he didn't like that, so he that's why he, that's why he always that's why he says object, and it can't go on, go on, go on. You say no. I was to say this this guy is childish and petulant, and <laughs> frankly should be chucked out. I I I un I understand what point he's trying to make, but he tries to make this point on frankly bills which are completely inappropriate to be blocking and it never works and if he has an issue with the fact that policies and bills can be debated with literally a handful of politicians in the room right then there are different ways to go about that campaign i find it frankly shocking that he did it in the first instance when he did it with the upskirt one i know he's done it with prior ones before this one i find appalling and and to be honest i would be chucking an mp like this out if your level of petulance that you will do it for a bill of this nature and you cannot figure out another way to drive your point forwards or make some kind of more successful campaign on the fact that, because I agree some more um, dangerous bills should we say, so to speak should be heavily debated with the right member, right number of people to make that debate. But you, you do not, you, you pick your battles and but this then, is not the one. But then the argument, the kind of argument would be that, those bills will get passed. The bills like the FNG, the anti-FNG bill, and the and and up, the upskirting bill, they're gonna get passed anyway. He's so him doing this is just highlighting his his thing for for a bill that's gonna get passed regardless. Yeah, but when you put yourself in the in the limelight for for a point that has all negative connotations, then you, nobody's paying. Let's just be clear here, right? Nobody's paying attention to the underlying reason for why he done this for. And he mm-hmm. must be, he cannot be stupid enough to not realise that. So if you are going to do it, then you need to do it. Yes, you can pick an important bill, but you do not pick an important bill, which in both instances has been anti-feminist. And I'm, you, you know me, I'm, I'm yeah. relatively not in going down the feminist 
root um, or defending feminism, it doesn't make a difference to me. But you're picking it on two things, which are frankly appalling ones to do it on. And you must realize that when you do it for these, the story is going to pop up for the only reasons which will be negative connotations on your person. So even the reasoning behind that that you are campaigning for is going to get lost. So even using that flip side of the argument, this is either he's, he's petulantly stupid and he's unintelligent, in my opinion, and he can mm-hmm. dress himself up and look as intelligent as he wants. His behavior is appalling. I shouldn't be surprised. This is he's just an MP, and I don't hold them in high moral standing anyway. But (laughs) all right, moving on. Um, So another story: a real chance of Irish unity poll if no deal. So several cabinet ministers have told told the BBC that a a no deal Brexit could lead to an Irish unification referendum. Can it? Well, I think this just says everything that you need to hear about how bad Brexit is going. Right? I mean. This is something that would be unheard of if you went back five years from now. You've got the Scots who have basically said, well, we're going to definitely have another referendum to be independent if if it goes with a, even if we Brexit, but especially if we go with a no deal, right? And everybody talking about, I mean, everybody who's going for Brexit saying, yeah, we will be our own independent country and be able to make our own deals. Well, we're going in a very good direction to make ourselves fully uh, an only independent country, i.e. just England no more, no UK. Um, So, I mean, it's it's noises that are coming out of the parties in Ireland. There's nobody who said directly, yes, we'll do this. But I think it says everything about... And this is what... This is where Theresa May needs to be careful, right? Because she's now put her focus on almost protecting the uh, protecting her party rather than protecting the country. She wants to protect the Conservative Party and keep them together post-Brexit. And she's doing everything she can to achieve that at the remiss of chucking the country down the pan. And I've said this before, it becomes, it's become Theresa May versus the UK and the EU rather than the UK versus the EU seeking the best deal. But this is another prime example of that. And she won't listen to it. None of this will land home. It never does. All she's interested on is saying, I delivered on time and in full. She just sounds like a fucking bigged up project manager. It's bullshit personally. Um, But we we ran on Brexit many times, and this is a relatively quiet week, so I guess I shouldn't get into it. But yeah, I don't know what you you think about how potential, how much potential it's got. But I just found it interesting that it even popped up. I, Brexit, if I'm, if I'm honest, it overwhelms me. I just think a lot of a lot is this is the ramification when you don't think things through. Um, and this is and this is one and deserve a special like, place in hell. Yeah, and they, <laughs> and they, they deserve a special place in hell. I mean, you don't think things through. You don't actually think. You don't, you don't actually. You don't actually understand the ramifications of the things you do. This is a problem with policies anyway, because of Brexit has been described as trying to take egg out from a from a baked cake, and it's pretty much it is. It's but the fact is, once you've got involved in Europe, and then you make so many laws that that intertwine with one another and stuff, it becomes very hard to pull out, and and people that tried to that were trying to go for a Brexit didn't actually understand the full ramification. I don't think anyone understood it understood it fully. But then these things like Ireland and and um Scotland and and all the other things that the borders and stuff. It's just like guys you can pull it back and say we just didn't we 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 just don't we just don't know what we're doing and and if we don't know what we're doing, I think it's best I think it's best to like slow down and look at it properly before we actually try to go run 
head into um, something that could that could damage us for 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 um, half a century before we before we before we get back to where we were. Well, the the analogy against the game of chicken still resonates perfectly for me on this. <laughs> mm. Interesting. Anyways, moving on to the final story of the week. Um, Spotify, Spotify's Gimlet and Anchor acquisitions mark the third wave of the podcast. And so it's really funny because we we um, we are recording this podcast on Anchor at the moment. We won't and... be for much longer. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Spotify has just bought them. Spotify bought um, Gimlet Media and Anchor, and they both they both specialise in uh, podcasting. And a lot of podcasters use both of these um, both of these um, softwares. Um, yeah. Well, well, Gimlet Media is not, but Gimlet Media is not a, a software platform. So they differ, don't they? Anchor is a software yeah. release platform um, where people post a lot of their own um, podcasts on. And Gimlet Media, Gimlet Media, a very strange outfit for me. I know. I mean, I know we listen. I, mean, I don't know if you finished all, but I know that they've got the podcast about setting up the podcast, which mm-hmm. we listened to like a couple of years ago. But they, they've got like 125, 126 employees. They've got massive like production costs that they put into their podcast, and I'm just. I mean, I think they're probably saying, yeah, well, we're happy to be bought for a figure that I understand is somewhere in like the 200 million range. Um, yeah. Because I can't see how much longevity their their business model could have had. In a, in a day and age where people can release podcasts for such low costs, I, I can't see how you can sustain such employment and run costs for something that is becoming available for everybody to do. Um, so I think this is actually a, a good opportunity for Gimlet Media to cash out. Um, but the thing is with like, sorry, 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 sorry. but you see the thing with like, things like Gimlet, Gimlet produced um, like a number one podcast, like Serial, and Serial had like, every week had like millions of people tuning in to that one podcast. And that's for that, for, for advertisement, that, that's how they make their money. So those highly produced um, podcasts, they make a lot of money for um, companies such as Gimlet, where they can um, charge a lot of money to ads for ads to be posted on their um, on their podcast. So that, that that that's that's a business model because podcasts are free, and um, I know podcast providers they do Patreon, pardon me, and they do like additional um, shows, additional exclusive content and stuff. But the majority of the of the pub majority of the um, revenue from podcasting comes from advertising. So big companies like Gimlet that, that do like high um, production podcasts, they get most of their money back from the advertising because, because of um, shows such as such a serial, such as um, America's Life. Uh, was it America's Life? America, America's Life. Yeah, one, This American Life. This American Life. They do such huge numbers in terms of audience. They, 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 can, they can charge uh, advertisers a pretty penny. Yeah, no, it's not sustained. I'm sorry, I, I get what you're saying. I know, I know exactly, I understand exactly how podcasts work. It's good that you've explained that for the listeners, but it's not a sustainable <laughs> model that they've got because you can't be employing all of those people and all of those production costs. Ads only give so much revenue because the problem is, is when they first started out, yeah, fine, that was sustainable. But there are so many, ad companies can go to so many people. Yes, they'll pay you a pretty penny, but at the same time, you, you heard Joe Rogan talking this week. He said, I've got so many people. He's like, I don't care if anybody does, uh, does away with me. And we'll speak about the, the Jack Dorsey thing later on and the, the kind of conflicts of interest. Um, but it, it's not sustainable for them to have so many people. And I would not be surprised if a lot of those people are stripped out now because even Spotify and themselves are always struggling to make um, a positive revenue, right? So, I, I, yeah, I think Gimlet will see a lot of their employees um, stripped off. And, and for Anchor as well, I don't 
from a listener's point of view, this is going to become painful, right? Because, yeah. I mean, Joe Rogan put it well. He, he does all of his ads at the start. So you know you can skip the first seven minutes of his thing. He does pretty much exactly seven minutes every time. So you can skip that. You don't need to listen to it, right? Yeah. Um, and all benefit to him for using that to make revenue for him. I'm not against anybody doing using that model whatsoever. But well, usually what they'll have is people will interrupt their podcasts for bringing in ads and they're very insincere in the way that they do it um and it's just disruptive to what you're listening to right now add on top of that all of these podcasts which are going to go on there are then going to go into spotify's world where basically spotify interrupts you with ads all the time if you're not paying for their premium service um and i don't mind their premium service isn't that expensive right but it's going from people who used to listen to some of this stuff on a free platform to now going to something that could just make just drive them away and and i understand sam harris made a very good point before like you people ask you to donate like five dollars for their um podcast something you would pay like for a coffee for and a coffee is gone in like five minutes but a podcast you supposedly find true value out of so i'm not against people having to put some funding into listening to these podcasts that they really enjoy but the brazen way by which spotify do that I think will potentially hurt some of the people who are using the channels, especially Anchor as a channel, to distribute their media. And I would not be surprised if people just go elsewhere because there are other ways to do it. We do this for primary ease because it means we don't have to be in the same place every week. But you could easily do it over a lot of um, people just do it over Skype, right? There are many ways. And even Patreon are driving people away because of the way that they kind of de-platformed a couple of people lately. Um, so, I, I, yeah, I'm, 200 million seems like a lot to pay for these two platforms, to be honest. And I think Spotify will just Spotify them, so to speak, because I, I find that... I, I just I mean, I only don't pay for Spotify. Don't get me wrong. When it comes to Spotify, I like their playlist a hell of a lot more than Apple Music, but I'm just like, I'm not going to... I've already got Prime Music, which, fair enough, comes from my Prime. I don't pay for it directly. I've got Apple Music, and I'm like... It's, I don't. It's only like ten pound a month. It's not a problem, but I'm just like I don't want to be paying for ev- all of these different avenues all the time. So I don't use Spotify. And to be honest, I listen to pretty much or- orchestral and composers. So I don't really need to. Um, but yeah, I'll I'll be interested to see. And the thing is, you can't. There's no way to check volumes of downloads for actual podcast listening. So it's always very difficult to make a call on exactly how much this will take a hit because there's no baseline to measure against. But yeah, it's, it's just, it's interesting that everything's gone full turn, right? It was radio. Then we went to TV. Then we go to all of these new technologies, AR, VR. Obviously you've got the, the increases and improvements in, in film and video quality, but it's the, the very simplistic audio and long form conversation that has come to fight back. Um, all right. So in regards to the Jack Dorsey thing, um, what, what, was your, what was your opinions on um, the Jack Dorsey and um, Joe Rogan podcast? I, so I think Joe Rogan hit a th- spot on. He, he said he wasn't happy with that podcast. He was quite disappointed. And to be honest, I kind of felt the same. It was quite boring. It was quite challenging for Joe Rogan and even for Sam Harris as well. Jack, Jack Dorsey, I'll give it to him. He's very good at, not, um, and, I don't, and I don't think it was deceptive anything he said, but he's very good at manoeuvring his way around the question. But I, and I also do think, and I think Joe Rogan said this before, and, and I think they've now agreed that they will have a follow-up to this and uh, Jack Dorsey will bring uh, somebody who's from the more technical divisions who will be able to answer some of the questions. Because I do think sometimes when you look at Jack Dorsey, he doesn't necessarily look like a CEO of a multi-million pound company, right? But, he nonetheless is, and that of multiple companies as well. So would he know the details of 
every instance where somebody gets... I mean, you would have thought, whether he was telling the truth or not about the um, Alex, Alex, Alex Jones... Um, yeah. Deplatforming it, I would I would hasten to think he probably had researched a reason for that, just in case that question came up. Um, but uh, yeah, I find it. I mean, I listen to them fast, right? I don't know. I mm. think it would have been a fate worse than death if I'd listened to him and Sam Harris together, because it must have been like the slowest conversation ever. Um, but yeah. I I think it was the backlash that Joe Rogan got that hit me more than anything else. To be honest, what do you think? Well, um, I I think when I listen to it in real time, yeah, I didn't see. It's probably because I don't, I don't have a bias. Like the thing is with Jack Dorsey, Jack Dorsey's always been a controversial issue, a controversial, controversial person. But I've never understood why, and it's probably because I'm ignorant. So when, whenever um, people mention Jack Dorsey, they always mention him as more more controversial than Mark Zuckerberg, or more yeah, he's more controversial than Mark Zuckerberg. And I never understood why. And um, when they were asking them questions about certain things, I just thought to myself, this is a guy that probably that is. Um, he he created um, Twitter, but um, the day to day running of it, and I don't think much many CEOs know the day to day running of their businesses. They don't they don't know the every intricacies of why certain things happen. Like they they will know like the like, the overall ish overall uh, structure and direction of the company, but like the, the every day running of the business, he's got so many other businesses that he runs. I just I just when they asked him the question, I was like. He's doing pretty well to know know some of the some some of the answers. I would have just said, well, that like he's going to do with the second interview. I would have brought someone along that knows more about the business than he does, and they can answer and not can answer the questions they, that that people want answers to. Although the only thing that I did think that this has come across in my mind here is that on the flip side of that, right, he's going on the Joe Rogan podcast, and Joe just wants to have a conversation with somebody, and for some reason the backlash on social media was almost like, why didn't you put him on trial? And now yeah. he's going back and bringing somebody in there. Almost, if you uh, compare him to Mark Zuckerberg, the only time Mark Zuckerberg doesn't uh, gets questioned when he has to bring somebody with him is when he goes and stands up in Congress. And yeah. there's, a, there's a degree of this where you think to yourself, well, hold on, guys. What right do you have to challenge Joe Rogan for saying that actually you need to bring him back and interrogate him? Um, I do think people then try to touch on to that. Oh, yeah, well, he owns the cash app. So obviously you didn't push him that much. I think Joe kind of chucked that out immediately and said, that doesn't make a difference to me. I can just get another sponsor in, which I, I think is, is true. Um, I do think and there were, there were points on it where outside of the deplatforming, that Joe and him started to discuss the challenges around the usage of Twitter, which is almost, which was almost manifested itself in the response that he got from this, right? Some of the challenges that they face on it. But mm-hmm. some of his ideas on how they want to improve it, he was very clear that it does need to be improved and in some many areas that they need to address. And all of that, all of that somehow got lost. And, and I'm of the opinion anyway, that even when he brings them back on and explains why the deplatform, people aren't going to say, thank you, I really understand that. Thank you, Joe, for asking those questions. They're just going to use it as another way to absolutely troll him online for it. So fair play to to him for even saying, yeah, I'll come back for a round two, because he obviously knows that, that Joe's going to have to be pressing on specific questions now, and it's there's no way in the world of Twitter where everybody just wants to have a dig at you that he can come out of this. Well, it's not going to hurt him, because it's just going to be people trolling online, but at the same time, as long as he's got that ability to just say, well, I'm not even going to check in on the comments. It says, kind of, Joe always says, it's like a bloody cesspool in there if you start actually paying attention to what people say on them. But... Yeah, it's true, which is very true. All right. <laughs> there's no more stories and um, what are you reading this week uh, I don't know if I think maybe I'd started it last week but I finished off uh, Albert Einstein's audiobook 
uh, what physicist, philosopher, and humanitarian that was. I mean, it's, it's a series of lectures, right? I was expecting maybe the audio quality was going to be pretty bad based on some of the. It's very funny. I get lots of reviews on um, Audible where they're like, ah, oh, the audio quality was terrible. And I'm like, I listen to it. I'm like, it's not. It's, I don't really understand the issue that some people take with the audio quality. Like, I'm, I'm like, surely you're reading it for the actual content. But hey ho. Um, that was a bit of a challenge in listening because it jumps between his kind of. the, the his biography and his upbringing and also it jumps onto kind of his humanitarian his philosophy philosophy, philosophy. yeah but it's not philosophical uh, just, there's a word that i'm looking for which has gone there but it just looks it does tie into his philosophy and it's quite interesting as well where when you see some of the famous scientists and how they tie in their science with theology um so that was an interesting read if not a very challenging one um, and I just finished today American Prometheus. Well, actually, I finished two today. Um, but I finished American Pr- Prometheus, which is basically the book on Ropin Oppenheimer. Uh, okay. Covers him all the way from his younger years, going through uh, his studies, through all the way through his work for the government, obviously the Manhattan Project, giving birth to the atomic bomb, all the way through to post the atomic bomb, where the government were basically trying endlessly to prove that he was uh, a Russian and communist spy and, and couldn't in the end, although he did manage to revoke his security pass, which was always seen as kind of a blot on the government's behavior more than anything else. Um, but that was, yeah, I really, really enjoyed that. Um, I did not realize what, I just knew that he created, he gave birth, he was the father of the atomic bomb, right? But he, I mean, he was a genius in the sense of he was a theoretical physicist as opposed yeah. to experimental one. So there were often times where he took other people's ideas and I think sometimes he was quite crude with his formulas and his physics, um, where some people were more detailed that, that some people did use that against him sometimes. But um, just as a, as a man in the mind, just like genius, the point where I was reading that thinking, well, what kind of idiot am I? Uh, but yeah, that was, I mean, it was a long one. That was like 26 hours, but that was a very good listen. Um, and then today I just downloaded and listened to uh, Dostoevsky's uh, Notes from the Underground. Okay. Which actually, I, I really enjoyed that. That's like a just a beautiful piece of literature. It's only like four hours long because um, I just listened to it on Very Bad Wizards. They they always do. I don't know if you ever listened to that. But it's a podcast where it's got two um, guys who are uni um, lecturers. Okay. And they they basically cover a lot of different books. And they're covered in the last two sections of part one and part two of Notes from the Underground. I don't necessarily agree with all of their analysis, um, but that's part of literature right you can take different uh takeaways from it but i did think that it was a wonderful take on the challenges that we face in because he does open up by saying this is a made-up diary but there's no way that that people out there like this don't exist uh it's only like four hours but it's a guy who basically the first part of it is kind of instilling his beliefs on the world he's like 40 years old he actually says (laughs) 40 years is like a a lifetime length and it's it's even rude to live past 40 years which is a bit bizarre thing to say um but it's not actually still um and then the second part of it he goes into the story that happened like 20 years younger and it explains kind of explains why he's ended up in the state that he has when you hear what he has to say in the first part. Uh, i i actually really enjoyed that for uh for our reading Dostoevsky obviously often writes um, massively long books. And then I just started, physical book-wise, um, a Borges book, another one that I heard of, Very Bad Wizards. Um, he's an Argentinian author. And he just, he yeah, he's one of those people, you read his stories and you're like, what kind of, what kind of unique, bizarre, yet brilliant mind 
came up with the concepts to write this. So he he never wrote like long stories. He wrote like a series of short stories. So the book I've got, he's got like twenty short stories in it. So yeah, I'm reading that on a physical okay. book front. I haven't, like I said last week, I haven't really written much. I've been, I've, I've had a really busy week this week. I've had a really long week at work. So I haven't had any chance to read anything because I'm not getting in, eating and then going to bed and then going to work. So I haven't had much time to read stuff. I've been watching um, the podcast. I listened to Stephen Fry and Sam Harris's um, podcast, which I really enjoyed. Um, I really enjoyed, I really liked um, Stephen Fry. Uh, I, find, I find him quite entertaining when he talks. He, uh, he he truly is like that. When I listen to uh, Mythos and Heroes that he uh, narrates, I, I do find him very very easy to listen to. Yeah, so I, so I, I really enjoyed that podcast, and then I listened to a few Joe Rogan podcasts this week. Um, I love I like, I, re- I really like when Sam Harris goes with on, goes on Joe Rogan's podcast because it sounds like a normal human being. <laughs> do you know Do you know what I found with those? This was that the other day, and I was like, it's strange that they can just they so easily converse when. And I don't mean that because I know they're friends, but they talk all the time. But then they still never lose what they need to speak about on on the podcast either. Um, but I, I do agree; it's a different, it's a different Sam. Well, of course, it's a different Sam Harris because he's taken a different seat when he goes on with uh, Joe Rogan. So I can understand that. But yeah, I do enjoy those those podcasts. He, and he is getting to. I can't remember who I was talking to. I was talking to a friend. And he was like, "Yeah, but he's had that guy." He wasn't talking about Sam Harris. I think he was talking about Brian Redband. And he's like, yeah. "Yeah, but he's had him on before." I'm like, "Dude, he's done over a thousand shows." Like. <laughs> Give him a break if he needs to recycle something. But, is it, but Red Band was coming on all the time. So does, so does Tom Segura. So does um, Sam Harris. They all come on all the time. Like, I didn't know. I, I only realised that Sam Harris was the one behind uh, um, Elon Musk coming on. Elon Musk coming on. Um, I, do you know what? I didn't realise that either. I didn't realise that Sam Harris was um, close friends with Elon Musk. Yeah, close, yeah. yeah, so he's close friends with Elon Musk. Fucking so, hell. Imagine, imagine being a fly on the wall in one of their conversations. It, it probably be bloody hell. I, I think it'd be brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I, think it, I think it'd be quite like if they're both very measured in the way they talk. Yeah, it must be very like because like when I because I talk to Claude all the time. So when I talk to Claude, Claude's like that as well. He, he pauses before he talks before he says anything. So you know, like when I when I sometimes when I um, when we're talking, I don't really pause. I I just go back into it and then I, then I think when I listen, when I listen back to the podcast, I think oh, I should have said something this, I should have said that. But people like Paul, like Sam Harris and Claudius, and even even Elon Musk, they they pause before they talk, and then they think about actually what they're saying. And for me, I find that something I find it quite frustrating because I want them to come on, spit out, spit out. Like I found, I found, I I found Elon Musk when he the interview Joe Rogan. I found it painful. I know you enjoyed it. I, I the reason why I found it painful because when Joe Rogan asked him a question, he would literally, you could see that he's formulating the argument. Uh, um, his response in his brain, then he's actually working through, and it's like, and then Sam Harris does the exact same thing where he's where he's talking because he's being very precise when he talks. Like the, the and I understand in, in today's age where you where you when you have public conversation, you actually have to be very precise in the way you talk because if, if you're not precise in the way you talk, people will pick up will pick up things that you said that normally they'll give you charity for, but when they but when they listen when they're um, trying to have an argument or trying to um, What's the word? Convict you? They'll pick up the exact set word you said, even if you didn't mean it that way, or you picked up, you used the wrong word at, at, in that time. Because normally, when you have conversations, we always use the wrong words when we're talking. We, we might we might want to use a different word in another word, in another sense, and we might use a word crudely, and it means some and someone can interpret it in a, in a totally negative way than you actually meant when you originally when you originally um, said it. So 
Yeah. Well, Joe, Joe Rogan made a good point about that, though, right? He's like, well, I can just say it because Sam made a good point about the different models that they use and how Sam will record yeah. his stuff. And if you need to edit something out, then let him know and they, and they will. Um, because as he says, he needs to be calculated in what he says. I mean, Joe always says, well, I'm just a comedian, right? So if I say something stupid, I say, oh, fuck it. I'm a comedian. This is what I do, right? I'm just an idiot. Um, whereas Sam made a good point. He's like, yeah, I can't get away with that. <laughs> um, yeah. And also, if you're, a, a, again, if you're a Sam Harris, there is there are always an army of people out there to go at Sam Harris. And I think listening to him, you can tell he's got much better at how he deals with his management of Twitter because I think he was just getting lost in that at a certain point. And he kind of had that at one point, I think, where he's on holiday and read it and realized that it was getting too much of his emotions that he then stepped away from it. I think Joe helped him in kind of... Because Joe will always say, don't look at the comments, dude. Just don't look at the yeah, comments. Yeah. Um, but... Joe has that way out and Elon Musk as well. He's Elon Musk, right? He's, he's a similar one. You, you have to be careful and calculated in what you're saying. So I, I kind of understand that I don't find frustrations of it when I'm listening, but that's obviously how I just I speed it up. Um, but I also think I was talking to somebody the other day because I can't remember they, it was when it was windy. And I said something, I said, I said yeah, it was a bit windy this morning. It was annoying because I said I was listening to um, the Oppenheimer book and he was going through some theories on physics and obviously it's very difficult. I have to con concentrate on that. And, uh, you're like, what, what you listen to that when you're running to work? I was like, yeah, cause I listen to books a lot cause you can speed it up in it. And they kind of laughed. But then I was like, so if I'm ever talking fast, it's probably because I'm used to listening to people fast. And I think that is a, that is actually, a, I like what they do, um, in that they're very calculated in what they say, because I yeah. would probably benefit from doing that myself more. But I think, as almost a repercussion of the fact I listen to everything in two and a half or three times speed and I'm listening, whether it be podcasts, uh, on an average day, I will listen to at least three hours of an audio book. Or if I mix that with a podcast, probably four to five hours. When you've got four to five hours of digesting something at multi-speed, I think it just um, rubs off on me, shall we say. <laughs> so I could probably do a bit, yeah. a bit, taking some lessons out of their book. <laughs> All right, guys, this is the end. Of, I think it's the end of this week's podcast. It's not been a, a it's long... 15 minutes, though. I, I did actually, I did actually yeah. think, because I, I thought when we were coming in earlier, right, I was like, well, the news isn't that much, but then there's going to be a couple of stories. Like, I knew the Liam Neeson one would drive us down a hole, and I knew that there was some stuff like podcast-wise and things that, that would pop up that would actually fill it up. So I thought this will be more of a conversational one. I still think that we need to do, like, that a, an almost off-piste one which is not necessarily news but we literally just yeah. do what they do on uh, not fifth column because they talk about politics but literally just get alcohol at the start of it drink away do like a joe rogan based one where as you get and then as you get deeper into it i, I don't know about you i saw you drunk that time with your christmas party so <laughs> but i do think that that would be an inter, inter entertaining experiment yeah all right, guys. Um, as always, if you can go on all podcast platforms and rate and subscribe us and share with your friends. We're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, and we're on Twitter. So like podcasts, it's peace. Like that and like that from me. Have a good week, people. Peace.